0: On today's episode of the Sixers Beat, I bring on Mike O'Connor to talk about the acquisitions of Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson III, talk about whether or not the Sixers should make a change to the starting lineup. We dive into Elton Brand's press conference after the trade deadline, their resounding win over the Memphis Grizzlies, and about whether or not any of these changes will make any difference come playoff time. Today's episode of the Sixers Beat is brought to you by NetSuite. Successful companies know faster growth requires the right tools. If you're doing one, 10 or hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives a full picture of your business. Finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more, all in one place. Over 19,000 companies trust NetSuite, the world's number one cloud business system. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, 7 key strategies to grow your profits at netsuite.com/listen. That's netsuite.com/listen. <laughs> All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner joined by Mike O'Connor on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Mike? Long time no All talk. Right.
1: Yeah, long time no talk. Uh, I'm just hanging in there, just waiting to uh find out when Glenn Robinson the third and Alec Burks will finish traveling the globe.
0: <laughs> and the new additions, of course, is what we will talk about, these Sixers. Trading three second round draft picks, one this year, one next year, one in twenty two, none of which matter if I'm being quite honest, for Glenn Robinson III and Alec Burks. And I will do my very best. I've done a number of interviews, radio interviews here over the last couple of days, and I don't think I've screwed up Alec Burks and Trey Burke once. I will look to keep that streak alive here in the early going. So I guess the easiest way to look at this, like I said, the draft picks that they are setting out, what, you've got a Denver second-round pick, a Toronto second round pick and a dallas second round pick i think it goes what dallas denver toronto in that order 2020 2021 2022 i could have that screwed up it doesn't really matter i'm pretty sure Toronto's the last one that one i'm pretty confident in but these are the kind of second round picks you expect all three of them and look it's hard to project three years in the future especially with a team like toronto where they have some older players in their core although they have some younger players in their core too mainly in the form of siakam All three of those you would project to be in the latter half of the second round, somewhere in the 45 through 60 range. And they're the, you know, this is going to sound odd because I think we spent some time after the draft bemoaning their giving away of second round picks. I view like the top five to seven of the second round completely different than I view the the last 15 of the second round. So you look at these picks, they will have an opportunity. There will be a pick sold. My guess is that in each of the three years, there will be a pick sold for straight up cash that will be better than any of the picks they gave up in this trade. So I really don't view a loss of this. Like, it doesn't matter at all. There, there's all... I've, basically, I'm viewing Glenn Robinson III and Alec Burks as having been gotten for more or less free. And that sort of colors a lot of how I feel on this trade. So basically, the way I look at it, you got a slight upgrade from Trey Burke to Alec Burks, who's, I think, a little bit more consistent of a perimeter shooter. Although Trey has had a lot of success here this year, I don't necessarily expect that to carry on with a larger sample size. But just as importantly, I view Alec as a little more playable defensively because he has six inches of height. And then Glenn Robinson, he's a, you know, more consistent shooter than James Ennis, who has been really up and down since coming over to the Sixers last February. You know, he was down pretty, pretty much in the regular season after the acquisition. I think he shot about 30, 31% from three which is still enough to win the quiet tournament going away. Uh, had some moments in the playoffs, came out, had a real good early first month of the season here, and then tailed off big time. Glenn Robinson is a little more consistent, a little more natural of a shooter, a lot more natural of a shooter, from being honest, and has some defensive potential too. I think it's overstated at times. Like I saw it stated a lot that he was Golden State's primary defender on number one options, which is true. But that is, I mean, it, it's like being the Sixers' best perimeter shooter. Like somebody had to defend those people out in Golden State, and they didn't have very many perimeter options. Once you got past Draymond Green, there's just, there's, there's not, there, there, there aren't defenders healthy on that roster. So someone had to do it. Glenn Robinson III was tasked with it more than anyone, and he occasionally held his own. So I think he's going to slot in well as an option defensively. Like I don't think he's going to be overmatched all that often, but I don't, he's not like a, a lockdown guy either. So I guess we'll start off after ranting for four minutes about why these upgrades are all right, but nothing earth shattering. How do you view this team now that we more or less know who you're going to have for the stretch one run?
1: I'm still pretty much as pessimistic as when we spoke on Wednesday. I think it was the 12 Uh,
0: point win over the Grizzlies. Didn't, didn't change it.
1: Did not swing me, did not swing me. Uh, but, uh, no, I mean, look, these guys are going to help. They're playable. Um, they fill needs. The The one thing I, that stood out the most to me in watching Burks is just like how different he is than every other player on this roster. Um, I included a stat in the piece I wrote where uh, Burks has attempted half as many pull-up threes as the Sixers have as a team. Mm-hmm. And he's shooting 11 percentage points higher uh, than the Sixers are on those shots. He has
0: almost as many makes as the entire team, too.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean— unbelievable um how just how different that is uh compared to what this team has you know look burks is a, is a was available for basically nothing for a reason like he's not he's not going to be anything earth shattering um but i think he's going to help in a number of ways you know i like he he's arguably the best pick and roll ball handler on this team um which is crazy to say uh there are some things that i I don't really enjoy about Burks's game. I think he he doesn't have great touch around the rim. He's not a great finisher. Um, passing comes and goes. General feel for the game isn't always there. Spaces out on defense. But look like like I said when when they have such a gaping hole in terms of perimeter creation, like he's gonna help. And Glenn Robinson the third, you know, I, I thought you said it well. It's basically just it's basically James Ennis, but he can he's a knockdown shooter, and that's cool. Like that's good. That'll help. Um, I th- I totally buy Glenn Robinson as a shooter. Like I I, I think yep. the shot is completely legit. I think you can work him off of some pin downs and stuff if they want to do that. Um, defense. Yeah, I thought
0: I thought the one thing I noticed he's I won't say he's good coming off of screens, but he's he's slightly more than just a pure catch and shoot shooter.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like a it's like a little meandering, uh, slow like. <laughs> Game, but he he's, he gets he's not going
0: to come off that screen, that screen run 30 miles an hour like JJ. Nope. but he will have a nice brisk, brisk jog into a shot, yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. Brisk morning jog. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's solid, like, he's he, these guys are both playable. You can never have too many playable players heading into the playoffs. Uh, defense, I, I think, I think the Ennis comparison is apt there, too. I mean, it, it's similar strengths and similar deficiencies he's smart and he's tough but he's not like a quick twitch athlete who's going to keep up with guards and um and that sort of stuff so you know i there there are a lot of clips you can see on synergy of him like trying to guard um like quick point guards and just getting completely blown by and uh and you know that's that's not like condemning him or anything it's just he's not like a superstar defender um, he's gonna be he's gonna be okay. He's gonna know where to be and what to do. And he's tough, but he's not he's not like a four position defender. He's, I, I would not be comfortable putting him on guards.
0: Yeah, no, I, I mean that, that that's where he was really missing. Uh, as and look, this team has you know Ben Simmons and Josh Richardson to defend those guys. As your second or third worst defender, really, yeah, your second or third worst defender on the court. I think he's gonna be. Well cast. Like, I think you're going to be happy with him in that role. As your best perimeter defender, like he was with the Warriors, that's where I think he's really miscast. And going back to your—I looked this up because I wrote this in our immediate reactions. Going back to your—you know, as Burks, as as shooting off the dribble, he was shooting 49 for 122 on three-point shots off the dribble, 40.2%. The Sixers, as a team, shot 63 for 234. So you're talking about 14 more makes on 112 more attempts. Uh, Sixers shot 26.9% so far. So he has almost as many makes off the dribble as the entire Sixers team. Despite, like you said, shooting just about half. Which again, doesn't mean that you want to be running a ton of offense through him. Like he's not going to average 16.1 points per game or whatever he averaged. With the Warriors, he's not going to have that kind of a role. But I think a lot of people are going to look at this and say, okay, well, is he the guy now that you want to put in a pick and roll with Ben Simmons as the role man? And I guess, what are your thoughts on that pairing there?
1: I I like it, you know, and, and I touched on it a a little bit earlier, but his passing comes and goes. I don't like feel great about like, he's not going to like unlock Ben Simmons in a way that nobody else has before, or that even like Raul Neto can't, how old I should say. Uh, Oh man, can't screw that one up. Cannot screw that up. Uh, But, uh, but no, he's he's fine. I think that's a good combination. Um, the question to me is like, how much does Brett lean into that? And 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 look, this was this is a question with whoever they were going to acquire. Like, how much do you put the ball in Burks' hands? Like, in a playoff series, are you going to put Ben Simmons in the dunker spot like all the time to give Alex Burks the ball? Like, is it going <laughs> to is that what's going to happen? I don't think so. But there's got to be some balance there. I, I don't know. Like, what what do you think about sort of like the balance of Giving Burks the ball when, when Ben Simmons is in the game with him.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I do like very specifically that one action of Ben being the screener and the roll man. Short roll man with Burks coming off of as the ball handler. I like that better than say Trey Burke, because I think, first of all, he's more of a threat to pull up from three point range off the dribble. And I think that helps open things up for Ben a little bit. Not that too many people are going to leave Ben alone on the roll to contest test Alec Burks, but it has more of a chance of happening than it did before. And also, he just has the height to see over, and if they do try to blitz him or trap him, he can find Ben a little easier than Trey Burke does. So I think that is a more realistic pairing. You know, I don't think he... I I think Kaul Neto's vision is better, so there will be benefits to running that pairing. But like you said, you're not going to just, like, outside of that specific play, you're not going to just put Ben in the dunker spot too much. Like, Alec Burke still does not have good vision. Like, we talked last time about you need people who can dribble who can shoot and who can make quick quick good decisions and Burke sort of has two of those, but his decision making both in terms of his his vision and creativity and also just his the quality of his decisions just aren't like it's it's not a high level guy there in that regard he's gonna settle for bad shots he's gonna settle for um he's gonna miss passing opportunities he's gonna make turnovers so yeah, you're not gonna like if we're sitting here in, in game seven of the conference finals and you're playing the best, best defense in the league in the Milwaukee bucks. Like, are you going to take the ball out of Ben's hands to put it in Alec Burks? Like, no, this isn't, we're not talking about Dame Lillard here. This is Alec Burks. You, you got him for garbage, second round picks and he was on a minimum contract. And there's, there's reasons for that. So I think he'll help. I think there'll be a couple possessions per game where you can run something and that can look nice, but I don't, I don't think he changes. And this is sort of like something I've written about a couple of times. I don't think he changes the DNA of this team. He's just a slightly better option to do so than Trey
1: Burke. Yeah, I'm with that. Um, I'll I'll tell you one other thing I I like about him. Just like the fact that he shoots threes with tight contests without thinking about it, which, you know, Burke did. wait
0: until he starts shooting 25% from three as everyone (laughs) does with the Sixers, though. That could change. Only on the road. That could change. Only on the road. Yeah, that's true. That's
1: true. Uh, Did you
0: see Furkan's home road splits, by the way?
1: I, I saw it. somebody tweeted it, but it's like forty
0: six percent at home, thirty three percent from three on the
1: road. Unbelievable! Man. And I think and I think Batiste Matisse is, is like in... just as bad. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. 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 It's it's ridiculous. Um, I,
0: ha- I had so many people after that game against the Grizzlies like, oh, they looked better when Joel Embiid was on the floor. It's like, well, they looked better because all of their role players just started making shots. Like, yes, yes exactly. when they shoot well, they're gonna look good. That's true at home, and theoretically, that's true on the road. Although well, I'm not sure I've ever actually seen a three-pointer go down on the road. But yeah, <laughs> yep.
1: Yeah. Uh, let me ask this question, because I, 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 when I was watching Burks, it sort of reminded me of of this guy. Who do you think is a better player, Jordan Clarkson or how Burks?
0: Ooh. I'd have to probably watch more. I think Clarkson is probably a little more athletically gifted. I think I trust Burks' shot a little bit more. They're both pretty garbage on the defensive end but burks at least has some size i would i would probably i would mm -hmm. i might go burks
1: i might give it to burks i probably would too um but yeah i was just because i was just thinking about like watching him like other sort of microwave scorers um who were who were available i mean clarkson was already traded but um who were just on the market and just thought about that, but
0: yeah, I mean, uh, I, I like to err towards size, especially in the, the playoffs. And and and, what does Burks have? Maybe two, three inches on on mm-hmm. Clarkson. Seems like he has a little more length. Neither of them are good defenders, but at least you can scheme a little more with 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 Burks. I and like I said, I I think I although Clarkson's he's not a bad shooter. Certainly gotten yeah. better here in the second stage of his career. It it's close. It's close. I've, Clarkson's certainly more proven for sure.
1: Yeah, and I agree. I think Burks is like somewhere around average defensively. Like he, you're not gonna pick on him in the playoffs.
0: It is a high bar we have set. In all seriousness, though, Snow, if 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 Burks and Robinson aren't picked on and they make shots, the Sixers have enough defenders. Where, I mean, I I do think that was a big part of the trade. You're more comfortable playing Robinson in the playoffs because you trust his shot more, and you're more comfortable playing Burks over Burke in the playoffs. Because he's a better defender and he has more size, and you can do more with him. I think that is, you know, I think a lot of people will look at this and and think Trey Burke got a raw deal. They were they were just never going to trust him in the playoffs with his size and his defense. And this was with him shooting what like forty two percent from three, and it still felt like he was taking time. Like I expected that regression to come quick, and I expected that regression to come pretty hard. And when that happened, it was just there was. I mean, we said it last time. It was it was not a real playoff option i do think burks is a lot more a lot more
1: viable yep i'm with that all
0: right let's take one quick break to tell you about doordash new year new you win back some me time this year and pamper yourself order with doordash so you can focus on you doordash has something for every lifestyle on the go with no time to waste order pickup and pass the line having trouble organizing a meal with your friends we make it easy with group ordering delivery is more than just pizza in 2020 With a selection of your favorite flavors from across the globe, you can order world cuisine from the comfort of your living room with DoorDash. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. With door-to-door delivery in all 50 U.S. states, Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can order from your local go-to's or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, and the Cheesecake Factory. With DoorDash, you'll never have to worry about your next meal. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code Sixers. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code Sixers. Don't forget, that's code Sixers for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. And now back to the show. So, big topic of conversation is whether or not you should start Al Horford, whether he should stay in the starting lineup. I have, I mean, look, we, uh, from day one, this offensive concern has always been there. But my response to benching Al Horford has always been, but it's Trey Burke. And yeah, I understand that you need more ball handling, you need more shooting, the fit doesn't work. I get all that. But Trey Burke is not a solution. Is Alec Burke's a solution? Let's start off. First of all, do you think they should bench, move Al Horford to the the, the, the bench, make him almost, almost exclusively? Probably not. You'll, you still need some minutes, maybe five to ten minutes, per game alongside Embiid. But is should they send Al Horford to the bench? And if they do, who would be the one that you elevate to the starting lineup?
1: I think the way I would handle it is I would just make Horford like a uh cosmetic starter, like pull him after five minutes and never play that line together again. Like kind of like the Clippers do with Zubac, where it's like he starts, but it's really like Montrez may as well, like, may as well be the starter. Um I think that's so you, the way I would handle it. you basically
0: be talking about like, what, 13 or 14, 15 minutes when Embiid's on the bench and then like 10 minutes alongside him, five at the start of the first and five at the start of the third.
1: Exactly. And I, I would make the minutes that he's alongside Embiid when, when Simmons is not in the game as well. Um, because I, I think, and this is just my opinion, I think the, the problem with this fit is not necessarily Horford and Embiid. It's Horford, Embiid and Simmons having all three of those. And and, and the fact that in between them, you don't have like superstar individual creators, but Um, my, my biggest priority would be splitting up that trio as much as you can, rather than necessarily just Horford and Embiid.
0: Yeah, I think, I think Horford and Embiid will never be a natural fit, but certainly you add another non-shooter in there and it gets increasingly more difficult. I could, I could, I could go with that. I honestly, I could go with benching Horford too. Like if, I think 10 minutes of Horford alongside Embiid is probably the upper range of what you would want. And if you commit to starting him, you you pretty much commit to 10 minutes per game of them being side by side. If you're going to tell me, make that five minutes per game side by side, figure out a way to do that, and then maybe leave it open to matchups or how they're playing for the closing lineup. I'm fine with that. There's two problems with that. First, whether or not Al Horford would be okay being a 22 minute per game player, I don't Look, I mean, Al Horford is, by all accounts, a good teammate, but he's still a prideful professional athlete. Is he all of a sudden going to request a trade or or, or pout? Or I, I don't know. I don't know that locker room. I don't know that dynamic well enough. But then there's also the fact that you're devaluing, and, and look, his value right now is not great. Um, and by not great, I mean really bad with that contract, but you're devaluing it even more. You're, you're in, by benching him, you are committing yourself to him even more. Like, is he going to be able to showcase himself enough where you can move off of that contract if you want? And look, as we get down here in the latter stages of the season, you have to do what you think is going to win you a championship, especially for Brett Brown, who you need to do what you think can win you a championship and also can probably save you your job. Like that's really his, 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 Pref- or his his mindset can't be how can I maximize Al Horford's trade value. And Elton Brand did come out and say that Brett Brown is empowered to make any changes to the starting lineup. You never really know, like, he almost has to say that because if he doesn't, then there's a controversy. But it sounds like he was sincere in saying that. But here's, and, and like I said, do what's going to put you in the best chance to win. And if this was someone a little better than Alec Burks or Furkan Korkmaz that we were talking about, it would be a much easier decision. I do give it more credence now that you have Alec Burks over Trey Burke, but it's still like, I mean, it's still Alec Burks and we'll see how, how all these skill sets fit when he is finally theoretically able to play for the Sixers. But my biggest concern right now, we talked about this a little bit on the last podcast. Yes, you have to do it, maximize your chances to win this spring. But you also, like, my biggest concern is that if you're stuck with Al Horford, does that cost you Josh Richardson? Are you not willing to pay Josh Richardson when he becomes a free agent after next season because you don't want to go that deep into the luxury tax? Are you unwilling to trade for guys like this year's example, Bogdan Bogdanovich, because you know you can't resign them because you're not going to go that deep into the luxury tax because you have Al Horford's, you know, $30 million or $27 million contract, whatever it is, on the books? and does that mean you don't do it? It's going to put you in the best chance to win the spring. No, but it is a concern. Like if, if you don't believe that Al Horford and Joel and can fit and Al Horford is just a 16 minute per game backup center with maybe five minutes of set of, of power forward minutes that you can sneak in there. There's going to be some big cost to that in future years in team building. And I, I don't know the solution. Uh, like I said, if, if, if you limit him to just center, you m- commit yourself to him. Even more long term, and that that scares me. If he truly can't play next to Embiid, that I'm, I'm really scared. I'm really scared.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, my perspective is that, and I said this on the last pod, but I I don't see any way that this ends without them trading Horford over the summer. This team, this this offense as currently constructed, is hellacious to watch. Every, like, I just from observing like the Twitter sphere and and the comments on our articles, I've never felt like. Sixers fans have enjoyed watching a team less, and they've seen a ten win team. They've seen a lot of eighteen win teams. Watching this offense, just like it's just you want to just gouge your eyes out.
0: Like losing fifteen games in a row to start a season was rightly passage with this team. Yeah,
1: yep, yeah, and it 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 didn't look this bad aesthetically. (laughs) Like it it looks awful. So look, I I just don't see any way that it ends without them trading him, and I think that's essentially a salary dump. I don't know what the market will be like for him. Um, I would be a little surprised if they have to attach like a real asset to get off of him. But hey, I mean, I I might be totally wrong there. My opinion, and this is just my opinion from watching him. I don't think Horford is like totally washed physically. I just think it's an awful, awful fit. I think it's a terrible fit. Maybe he's had some decline, but I really think that, you know, the reason he looks bad right now is because of this team. And, I think, like it would surprise me if over the summer, uh, if they have to attach anything significant to him, and, and that we don't have to go into that now. But that sort of touches on like, wh- what is the long term outlook for this team? I don't know about you. I don't, I don't feel like overwhelmingly negative in the long run. I think the 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 outlook is like, you trade Horford, you hope to bring in a quality guard of some sort, and you look for development out of guys like Furkan and Matisse and maybe Shake. Maybe Zaire comes back to life. I mean, I don't know. We're, we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but that's just sort of my long-term outlook.
0: Yeah, I mean, long-term, I think a lot's going to depend on Matisse's development, Josh Richardson, and whether or not you can bring him back. Not only bring him back, but bring him back on a contract that has plus trade value. So much of, of, of the trade value of these guys is determined by that contract and whether or not people view it in a negative or positive light. So what, what can you do in terms of bringing him back? Can you hit on another? I mean, look, one thing I have to give them credit for over the last two years here is is they're drafting in the twenties. Can you hit on another one if that Oklahoma City pick does actually convey um, top twenty protected? Right now, it's what I think twenty first. Some are in that range. Some are right around there. Can you hit? Can you get get another asset there? Like you've got to slowly build back up your asset base so that you can you can be flexible if a. A move comes up. You know, like I said, my biggest concern is that you, you're you stuck with Horford who doesn't fit. He ends up being a 15 minute per game backup center. He costs you people like Josh Richardson or opportunity cost to trade for other people and you just get, you you get both a team that doesn't fit and a team that is short on depth because you have two guys in Harrison Horford who doesn't who, who eat up so much of your cap. But if they can find a way out of Horford, that lessens that a little bit. Uh, you still don't have a whole lot of trade chips to go out and, and, and target and hunt pieces that do fit, but Look, I still, I think a lot of people want to move on from Embiid and Simmons. I'm not of that camp. I think they need to find better pieces that fit around them, and that's not going to be easy to do. I still, like, you You still have two of the top 25 players in the game. Find a way to make this work.
1: I'm with that. Yeah, and the two things that matter the most long-term, for everything we we still discuss, the two things that matter the most are Ben Simmons' jump shot and Joel Embiid's health and conditioning. Right now, those two things are non-existent. Not great,
0: yeah. Yeah,
1: so... I mean, that that's definitely contributing to a lot of the negativity around this team. Um, but, look, I mean, I, I honestly believe, and neither of these things are going to happen, but if, like, Simmons just became, you know, a 33% three-point shooter and Embiid went on the Draymond diet and looked like himself from 2017 or 18, I think this team makes a million times more sense for as much as we can still poke holes in it, I mean, but like I said, neither of those things are going to happen, unfortunately.
0: No, I, I mean, like so, I mean, so much of my focus lately in the last couple of months has been, all right, well, you still need to find that third star. You still need to be star hunting. And that wouldn't be as necessary if if Ben Simmons was a more natural half-court scorer and shot creator. If Joel Embiid was in that shape that we all hope that he will be in and is is, is more consistently effective. So, yeah, it's, it's it's all of that. It's the reason this team hasn't quite reached, I think, the height that we all want it to. It's a combination of Markel Fultz didn't work out. They spent money in Harris and Horford, one that doesn't fit and the second's overpaid. And it's also that Embiid and Simmons just haven't taken that next step that we all thought they could have. I mean, look, if, if, if either of those two improve at the rate of, let's say, Pascal Siakam or Giannis or someone, if, if you have that kind of outlier development, you're talking about a a, a a dynasty, and we haven't seen that yet. So there's a whole lot of reasons to be optimistic about the future because you still do have those young players who are still just 23 and 25, and sometimes it's easy to lose sight of that. But also so much of the frustration is there's the short-term frustration in that the pieces around them haven't fit the way they needed to, and some assets were squandered. And the long-term frustration that you just you had that chance for greatness. And it seems like they haven't yet really taken that opportunity. Yep. And oh, by the way, they came out, built up a 33-point lead over the Memphis Grizzlies the other night, uh, who came into the game winning 13 of their last 16 games. Another really good home home win. They're now 23-2 and two at the Wells Fargo Center, which you would have no idea just by listening to the tenor of the last couple of podcasts, because they look like the Golden State Warriors, the Dynasty-era Golden State Warriors at home. And then the, what, Orlando Magic may be on the road. And there's way too much truth in that statement for me to really know what to make of this team. Let's take one more quick break this time to tell you about Roman. If you were to guess, on average, how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week, maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. Basically, a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. Also, you get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel any time. So if you're struggling with ED, go to getroman.com Sixers for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's getroman.com Sixers for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. And now back to the show. Do you think there's a chance? I, I feel like this is the way you were two podcasts ago, and then you deviated after the Miami game. Do you think there's a chance they get to the playoffs and they're just like, all right, well, we're, we're locked in every night though. Our defense is dominant every night. And some of these concerns just go away.
1: It wouldn't be the craziest thing to ever happen, but one of the things that I, I, I that swayed me, as I mentioned on the last podcast, like I spent all day Tuesday watching old playoff games, like all day. What stood out to me the most about, especially like Toronto's defense last year, was just how much they're just on a string. It's just like a level of communication and synergy, unbelievable. And then I don't see anything remotely close to that on this team. And yeah, they have a I think I think they still have a top five defense in the league right now. I think that's because they have a lot of good individual defenders. And I just don't see I don't see that like level of synergy and communication that, that like those elite defenses in the playoffs have. I will say that I think a lot of the home road stuff is just randomness and shooting. There are obviously some reasons like this team needs to play with a lot of intensity to play well and they get that at home. The the differences in three-point shooting from like pretty much every player uh, from home versus road is, is ridiculous. And some of that has to be just randomness. So yeah, I mean, I look, I think that if they get to the playoffs and a lot in the switch flips in terms of their shooting and their defense can step up sort of a notch, then it's definitely possible. But I, I'm just not a believer based on what we've seen. I mean, a lot of the stuff I'm talking about right now is pretty abstract, but like, I really just don't like the, the personality of this team right now. Um, I think they're a team that gets down 10, they get punched in the mouth, and they have no idea what to do. Like, they don't come together. Everybody looks like they hate it out there. I I just don't know how that switch gets flipped. The only time we've ever seen that done is with LeBron, uh, and he's one of the greatest players of all time. The Sixers don't have the privilege of calling themselves, call, calling anyone on their team that. I'm pretty pessimistic still, um, but I, I definitely acknowledge there's some chance that uh, that things could improve.
0: There's also, I just go back to watching Embiid and Simmons in the second round of the last two playoffs and how much of a struggle that was for them offensively. And now I look at it and you don't have Jimmy Butler to run your offense through. You don't have J.J. Redick to bail you out and open things up for your best player. And I worry, I like there's, yes, there's a world for me where they come out and they're just that dominant defensive team. But there's also a world where they just have no chance to score in the half court. That, that, those offensive struggles to me are a little more, I won't say guaranteed, but they're a little more likely than just being a, a an all-world defense is. Um, so I could see it going both ways, but yeah, I still I still have my concerns. And unfortunately, Trey Burke, while or not Trey Burke, well no, I screwed up it. the whole you, name. You just did it. Unfortunately, Alec Burks, while a nice upgrade, and and Glenn Robinson, while a hopefully consistent shooter, although that feels the first road game they play with Glenn Robinson, there's going to be all eyes on him as a shooter. Well they help, I don't think like I said, I just I don't feel like they change the DNA of this team.
1: The the one thing that would really sway me is if I see Embiid get in great shape the second half of the year, because I think that Embiid has not looked the same since he went out with the knee tendinitis last winter or spring, I guess it was like about this time a year ago. Um has not looked like the same guy. Nope. Uh, yep, and I, I think agree. the vast majority of that is conditioning. Um we mentioned it on the last pod. When you go back and look at his his tape from previous from his earlier years, it's unbelievable the difference. Absolutely unbelievable. And look like it's as simple as he has to get in better shape. He's not in good shape right now. Period. He doesn't move well. Um, he he's he's just laboring up and down the court. He doesn't look like he's in good shape at all. And if I see if I see Joe start to look like the guy from. 2017-2018, or the first half of uh, the 2018-2019 season, then I would become sort of a believer. And look, like I like I mentioned, the Draymond diet. It happened last year with somebody. It's, it's not impossible, but I need to see that before I'm going to believe in him, before I'm going to believe in this team, because like you said, especially without a guy like Jimmy Butler to shoulder any of that offense, they're going to need not just healthy Embiid, they're going to need peak Embiid. Like the guy that was dropping... 30 some uh, like a night and in, in the first 20 some games of of 2018 um that's the guy they're going to need and he is nowhere close to that right now not even close
0: and on that note i think that is a <laughs> I, I feel like every podcast we just depress people so we're gonna <laughs> we can't fake optimism so rather than fake optimism we will just end the podcast thank you mike for jumping on and we will talk to you soon
1: sounds good man